So it's great to be here. It's the first Sunday I think we've been since the stage has been all done. It looks really nice. I noticed the Encounter logo on these, yeah, which I didn't spot yesterday. It was too far away. But uh, yeah, it's looking good. I'm, I'm liking it. So um, when you're ready to come and do ours, let me know. <laughs> you know, over the summer, I was thinking about how complicated the world seems to be becoming. Now, it might be because I'm getting old. That is a possibility. But I don't think it's entirely that. I think that the world seems to be getting more and more complicated. There's things that we have to think through now that we didn't have to think through a few years ago. I mean, recently I had to go up to Wakefield to get a printer that a church had kindly donated to us and it was free but I had to go and get it so I faced two and a half hours in the car more or less each way to Wakefield and before I went Alistair said you ought to take my car because it's a bit bigger and it's easier to get the printer in the back which is true but I didn't really want to take Alistair's car because I can talk to my car I can be driving along and I can suddenly think oh I need to text so and so so I press the button and I say text so and so and the lady says what would you like to say and I tell her and she sends it it's great I can ask it to direct me and it will direct me if I get bored I can even ask it to play a certain track of music or even tell a joke although the jokes aren't very good all those things I can do and Alistair's car and I realize right now I'm making a case for Alistair to get a new car which is the subject of discussion (laughs) But Alice's car, you can stick a CD in a slot, and that's it. So I'll be honest, although I did take his car, and it is a bit faster than mine, so it's not all bad. But I just thought, you know what? I've, been, I've had a car since I was 19 years old, which is a long time ago. And I only had my car three years ago. So most of my driving life, I've driven a car where you either stick a CD or even a tape into a little slot. And yet now, because I've had three years of being able to talk to the thing, my level of expectation has risen. But life is getting more and more complicated. There's things we have to think of now that we didn't used to have to think of. And it's not all in a good way. You know, we have the global economy We have some civil unrest. We have war in Europe. Who would have thought? Climate change. I I wrote this a few weeks ago and I put, who would have have Liz Truss's job? And it's even more so now, this week, the week that we've just had. It just seems to be getting more and more complicated. And as I was thinking about this over the summer, thinking about what we were going to think about in Wheelie Castle for the autumn, and I I came across this verse, very famous verse, at the end of 1 Corinthians uh, 13. And it says this, she says, I want to read it exactly, although I do know it. It says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And I thought, you know what, don't you sometimes want to strip everything back and say, what is the key things what are the most important things and so at Wheelie Castle we've been looking at faith hope and love and if you want to listen to faith I think you can get that on the website but today we're thinking about hope and so I want to share with you a little bit about hope this morning I think we need hope in the world that we live in right now and this week I was skimming through social media as you do 
And I saw that a friend had commented on a video, and it was a video of a man very enthusiastically leading worship, just like Isaac has just done. Uh, It wasn't in English, but I could tell what the guy was singing because I could recognize. I listened, and you know, you're like, I know the tune. What is it? What is it? And then I got it. And what he was singing was this. The sun comes up. It's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, may we be singing when the evening comes. Bless the Lord, O my soul. You know the song, I'm sure. And you might think, well, it was filmed last weekend, literally the 9th of October. You might think, there's probably hundreds of churches that the 9th of October last week, they were singing, bless the Lord, O my soul. But the thing that really stirred me about this particular video was that this guy was leading worship in the Vineyard Church in Kiev in Ukraine. He was singing in Ukrainian. And it really moved me because I think, you know, when we think whatever may pass, whatever lies before me today, let me be singing by tonight, we think as long as I don't burn the dinner or, and I'm not trying to, you know, some of us have challenges, you know, I'm not trying to nullify that, but For them, I thought, what is it that gathers a group of people together in the difficulties that they're currently facing? To be able to sing whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And I thought, it's got to be hope. It has got to be hope that enables those people to do that. And I hope that they're singing today as well. We need hope. Remember the Queen's speech at the beginning of COVID. You remember the beginning of COVID when it was all, goodness me, what is happening? I was thinking as I was just singing down there, I was trying to sing quietly to save my voice. And then I thought, you know what? A couple of years ago, we weren't singing at all, were we? We were just whispering the words or mouthing the words or standing there like, I don't know what to do. You know, we've forgotten already that we had to do that. And that time it was so confusing and the late queen gave a speech and she said this we should take comfort that while we may have more still to endure better days will return we will be with our friends again we will be with our families again we will meet again you see there's a problem when people lose hope because when you lose hope you get despair And that robs us of joy. It increases our our poor health, actually. increases poor health. It literally can make your heart sick. And Proverbs 13, verse 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. So if we defer hope, if we lose hope, it says, it's going to give you a problem with your heart. Not necessarily that physical thing that's pumping the blood around right now, but that inner part of you, the thing that drives you, your inner being is going to get sick if you put hope to one side. And also in Proverbs 4.23, it says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So if everything that you do flows from the heart, that person that you are inside of you, and it says, if you lose hope, that's going to get sick. It shows us that we have to get hope sorted out. We have to work out what this hope thing is and make sure we have it. So what is hope? Well, if you look in the dictionary, it'll tell you it's a feeling of desire for something and confidence in the possibility of its fulfillment or an optimistic state of mind. 
And we hope for many things. You might hope that the weather will be dry next week because you're going away. If you're a farmer, you might hope that the weather will be wet next week because you've got crops that need to grow. And we can see God has a bit of a dilemma when it comes to prayer for the weather. But you know, when you pray for nice weather, you can be confident in the possibility that it might actually work out. But we know that our hope isn't going to change the weather. And you know also that there's a chance that you could be disappointed because it could be awful. But you know, disappointing weather is unlikely to lead you into the pit of despair. But what happens when you hope for something more significant? What if you're hoping that someone will recover from cancer? What if you're hoping that you'll get pregnant? What if you're hoping that someone you love will come to faith or come back to faith? The longing and the hoping, if it's fulfilled, will be a great joy, a tree of life. But what do we do when hope and longings are not fulfilled in the way that we would like them to be? The good news is that biblical Christian hope goes to much deeper level than the dictionary definition. It's not just an optimistic state of mind and a desire for something and the confidence that it might happen. It goes a lot deeper. The Bible has a lot to say about hope. Here's a couple of verses. One of my favorites is Isaiah 40, 31. It says, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. There's something about hope in the Lord, not just hope, hope, but hope in the Lord that gives us strength, that helps us to soar above something, to have a different perspective, to keep going and not get weary. It's invigorating. Psalm 31, 24 says, Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. There's a strength in hope when we put that hope in the right place. But listen to these words in Lamentations 4, starting at 19. The writer says this, I remember my affliction and my wondering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will hope in him. Can you see what he did? He's changed his mindset. He's reminded himself about God and who God is and what God is like and what God does. And in doing that, he's changed his whole perspective from my soul is downcast within me. You can almost feel the weight of those words on your shoulders, can't you? To the Lord is my portion. I will hope in him. Because you see, biblical hope is created when faith and truth come together. In the great faith chapter, Hebrews 11, in verse 6, it says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So faith is necessary for us to please God. 
And you might say, well, I'm only a person of little faith. I haven't got much faith. But in Luke 17, we recorded Jesus' words. Jesus says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. You might think, right, so if I want to do a bit of gardening later, all I've got to do is put that little mustard seed. It, you know, some things are not to be taken literally. Yeah? Otherwise, it could get very messy. But what he's saying is the mustard seed, that was one of the smallest things that they kind of knew about back in the day. So we might talk about an atom. Or if you're much more scientific, you might even go smaller than that. And I'm not going to go there because I might get wrong. But he's talking about the, the smallest thing, the tiniest thing, that's the amount of faith, can make big things happen. A whole tree replanted. Only a small amount is required. So when we come to God, who is complete truth, with our small amount of faith, hope can be created. And that's what this writer in Lamentations does. He brings his tiny little bit of faith, and his faith's been knocked. He's had this affliction, and he's wondered, and he's bitter. His soul is downcast, but he takes that tiny bit of faith, and he goes, I'll call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, I'm not consumed. His compassion never fails. It's new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He reminds himself of God's love and the truth of the Lord's compassion. He puts his faith in the Lord and says, I will wait for him and therefore I have hope. Faith and truth are brought together and hope is formed. You know, when we become Christians, if you are a Christian here today, I assume that most people are, you will have become a person of hope because you've taken that tiny bit of faith that you had, you've put it in Jesus and the truth, and hope is created. And in Hebrews six nineteen to 20, it says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. It says this hope is an anchor for the soul. Now we all know what an anchor does, right? An anchor is on a ship and when the ship wants to stop or there's a storm blowing, it puts the anchor down right into the seabed and it secures the ship. I don't know if you've ever been on a ship that's been a bit rocky maybe a cruise ship or maybe a ferry. We, we did once. We went to Jersey on a ferry. Never again. Not with three small children. It was awful. In fact, when we got off in Jersey, my oldest daughter announced that she was never going on a boat ever again. And I went, I'm sorry, we have to go home in a fortnight. But then later in the holiday, we drove past the airport and she went so we could fly home. And I'll be honest, I was half tempted to put Al on the ship in the car (laughs) and fly home with the kids. Fortunately, the ferry ride back wasn't so bad. But you know what it feels like when you're on a boat that's going like that? And the very fact that these words are in the Bible, it's an anchor for the soul. We wouldn't need an anchor for our soul if life is all nice, smooth, plain sailing. The whole point is 
that it can be rocky and it can move us from side to side and it's all oh, battering from here and a battering from there. What's going on? And sometimes we have to put that anchor down and say, no, our anchor is firm and secure. So what is that hope that we're putting our anchor into? It talks about entering the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. So it dates back to when the priest, the high priest, used to have to go into the inner sanctuary where the presence of God was. And he had to cleanse himself before he went in. It was a dangerous place to go. And it was, everyone else was protected by this thick curtain, but that's the thick curtain that tore in two when Jesus died, opening the way for us all to come. Jesus, if you like, became that high priest, the final one that was needed to deal with our sins so we can all come before God. We can be his children. We can have this hope in him. That's the hope that we put our anchor into sometimes. Well, all the time. Sometimes we're more aware of it than others, I think. But it's the anchor we have to put in that hope that steadies us, steadies our ship when the wind is blowing and howling a gale all around us. I'm sure that that is the kind of hope that is enabling that congregation in Kiev to sing whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, when they know that that could be something really, really awful that we wouldn't even understand here, really. And yet they can sing it. Why? Because they've got that anchor, that hope in Jesus that whatever may pass, whatever lies before me, Even if the end of the day I'm in heaven, I'm going to be singing. It's amazing, really, that hope. And we have that hope, too. Sometimes it's not tested as much as it can be in other places, but we still have that hope. So hope is created when faith and truth come together. But hope is always about something in the future that we don't have now. You see, if you're hoping for something, when you get it, you don't need hope, do you? I remember hundreds of years ago hoping that one day I would get married and I hoped that would happen and one day I did get married. I said I do to Alistair and I no longer have that hope because I have what I hoped for. It makes sense, doesn't it? But, you know, we have to... And this is what Paul encourages us in the book of Romans. You see, hope ends when the subject of our hope is revealed. And Paul encourages the reader, he says in chapter 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. When we have this true biblical hope, we can have joy whatever the circumstances are. If we had everything we hoped for, we wouldn't have any affliction. We wouldn't have anything to be patient for. We wouldn't have anything to pray for if we had everything that we hoped for. But he's saying that's not the case because hope is always about something that's in the future. We only need hope for the things that we need for a better future. And Paul says in Romans 8, For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Ooh, did you hear that last bit? Yeah. If we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently, apparently. Um, A child came home from Sunday school one day and his dad said, oh, how did you get on? What did you do? What were you talking about? And the child said, oh, we did the fruits of the spirit. 
And he said, what, what happened? We had this little chat about the fruit of the Spirit, and then we had to choose one of the fruits of the Spirit that uh, we felt we needed more of and that we wanted prayer for, and then someone would pray for you for that. And the dad says, oh, that's nice. He said, um, just as a matter of interest, which fruit did you go for that you wanted prayer for? And the child explained that he decided that what he really needed was patience. But unfortunately, the queue for patience was too long, so he decided to go for kindness instead. (laughs) We might laugh, but you're all the same. (laughs) But I wonder when we think about the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, what do we crave, what do we ask for? We ask for like power and miracles and mercy, and, and that's all great, and there's nothing wrong with that. But patience is probably one of the things we need to cultivate the most. Because if you notice, life is really just one long queue. Really. I mean, if you're, if you're British today, and I realise not everybody will be, but if you are, we should be really good at life. Because apparently we're really good at queuing. I'm not convinced, but that's what they say. And when you watch the scenes of the ch- going past the Queen, I mean, gosh queuing for all those hours, those people. It was just amazing. But life is one long queue, one long set of waiting for things. It took you nine months to get born. Once you were born, it took you another year or two to learn how to talk and to walk and all of that. And then you needed an education, so you went to school for like between 11 and 13 years, something like that. Because that's how long it takes You've probably trained for a career, depends on your career, how long that took. But, it, you know, you want to go on a journey, it takes time. You want a holiday, you have to save up. You want a house, you have to save up even more now than you had to a couple of weeks ago. But it all takes time and it all takes patience. Life is one long wait, really. Why do we treat it as if instant is the norm? Even coffee... Personally, it's worth waiting for. I know you can do it instant, but it's not very nice, is it? We do have one lady at Wheelie Castle who prefers instant coffee. There might be people here. And uh, she's disagreeing with me at Wheelie Castle about an hour or whatever it was ago because she prefers instant. But let's be honest, people, it's better when it's been brewed and all that isn't I don't know what's going to go on there later on (laughs) and uh, I will appreciate whatever variety of coffee it is but coffee takes better if it's took time so let's not think of everything has to be instant it doesn't make sense and the problem is if we live as if instant is normal it robs us of the joy of hope it breeds disappointment it breeds hopelessness it breeds despair And as the writer of Proverbs said, it makes our hearts sick. When we live in the reality of faith and truth, we can see hope and the joy of hope can grow in our lives. Romans 5, 1 to 5 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit 
who has been given to us. Sometimes when we're waiting for something we desperately desire, it can mean suffering. And Paul, writing to the Romans, reminds us that even in the most difficult of waiting seasons, if we can continue with that hope, if we don't defer hope, if we don't put hope to one side, but if we continue in it, it will produce perseverance in us. And God is really interested in perseverance and character. They're not very popular things these days, are they? You don't see many TV programs about people developing good character and perseverance somehow. But, you know, if we can, if we can stick on that road and keep going, we will develop perseverance and our character will grow strong. And when we do all that, hope will grow because we will see what is the most important thing. God is more concerned with growing our character, godly character, than just giving us things to make our lives easier, which is probably what we would prefer if we're honest, but that's not the way it is. And I think we see this progression only when we learn to glorify God, even in the midst of our suffering. See, if we get into moaning and complaining and groaning, we're more likely to get a hardened, sickened heart, robbed of the joy of hope. Now, we all do moan and groan, don't we, at times? We do. And if you read the Psalms, there's plenty in the Bible where there are people going, oh, God, how long? God, why? You know, because God knows we're human, but we have to read the rest of it. We don't just read like the verses in Lamentations where it's talking about his soul being downcast and it's all horrible. We have to read the next bit that says, but I put my hope in God. I focus on his goodness. You know, Jesus told his disciples, in this world you will have trouble. You don't see that on a fridge magnet very often or in the promise box. What's the promise for today, God? In this world, you will have trouble. Hallelujah. Thank you. I think we'll put that one away. But it's reality. That's what the fact is. It's a broken world. And in this world, we have trouble. But we have to read the second half of the verse that says, but take heart because I have overcome the world, says Jesus. That's what we have to do. Even when faced with death itself, Paul reminds us of this in 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Even when we face death, we have hope. Notice it doesn't say so that you do not grieve, because grief is normal and is natural. And I've, in my job and previous thing, I've been to loads of funerals, and some have been especially hard. You know, children, family I know who buried two out of three of their children can be incredibly, incredibly hard. But going to a funeral where the family have hope is a totally different ballgame to where there is no hope. I was, went to a funeral a few years ago, not of someone I knew, but I went to support somebody else. And this person was not a believer. And they were not only not a believer, they were like, a, I don't want anything religious in my funeral. It's, it's not, not happening. And so the celebrant went with that. And so when it came to the committal, she said something like, you know, we're now sending 
I can't remember the guy's name because, like I said, I didn't know him. Off into the universe. We're letting his atoms go off into the universe. Into and I thought, what? They think Christians are mad. But, it, you know, I'm not being critical of her because she was just trying to say something nice at the end. And when we walked out, a lady said to me, oh, wasn't that lovely? And I thought, you've never been to a proper funeral where people talk about hope. Because, you know, those words, you know, say, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so you don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Because we believe Jesus died and rose again. You know, Jesus was a historical person and his life was recorded in the Gospels by people who were there. And they wrote, here, Jesus Jesus said, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. And then he actually did it. He's got to be someone that is worth listening to who said, I'm going to die and rise again. And then he did it. And there's loads of evidence for that, in the, the evidence for the resurrection I don't have time to go into now. But that's who we're putting our faith and trust in. It's not some weird and wonderful kind of one day I'll float off into the universe thing. Jesus said, in my father's house, there are many rooms or many mansions. Personally, I prefer a mansion to a room, but we won't worry about it. Depends if I have to clean it, then we'll have a room. But Jesus said, in my father's house, I'm going, this is the important bit, I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you will be. Hallelujah. I think that deserved a hallelujah. So that's why we do not grieve. We do grieve, but we do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Because even when it comes to that point, when we're talking about death, It's not the final say. It's not the final frontier. So hope is created when faith and truth come together. And hope is always something concerning the future that we don't have now that we need to develop patience for. So how do we see hope grow in our lives? Well, first of all, we have to put that faith and truth together. So we have to know the truth. And we know the truth. This is very, very simple by knowing the Bible, by knowing God's word. As we read it, it grows our faith. It shows us God's ways. It tells us what he's like. It tells us what he thinks of us. And as we learn that and we grow in that and we keep reminding ourselves of that so and put our faith in that, so hope will grow. So however is best for you to do that, do it. Some people like to journal. I'm not a great journaler, if I'm honest, because sometimes I've done it and then read back what I wrote a year ago and thought, what was I thinking? Some people really like to do that. But whatever works for you, whether it's writing it on your mirror or, you know, but get the, the word of God into you. Read it every day and make sure that you've got that truth growing inside. Put your faith in it. Remind yourself of it like the writer in Lamentations. Remind yourself, recall it to your mind and hope will grow. Secondly, we know that hope grows in the waiting. We have to be prepared to wait patiently for the thing we long for. But here's the thing. Sometimes you may not see it in your lifetime. If you read the chapter in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about great men and women of faith and what they did. And there's a bit towards, towards the end where it talks about different people and it said they did this and they did that and they did the other and they did and, that, and then it says something like, but they did not see the promise. And you think, what? They did all of that and they didn't see the promise? 
And the reason being, of course, is because what they were looking forward to was the coming of Jesus. And they lived hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was around. But they saw that their lives fitted into a much bigger story. And often we look at our lives and we can get very, like, small-minded about it because we only really see our lives and we don't see the future. You know, life goes on beyond us. Life was here for thousands of years before us. Life will go on beyond us. So some of the things that you hope for, some of the things that you pray for may well happen, but you may not see it. You might be praying desperately for someone to become a Christian. And you might reach your deathbed and still be praying for them. And you might actually go into heaven. And you may not know at that point whether that hope will ever be realized. But then you might turn around in heaven one day and go, hello. You see what I mean? You may not, we may not see what we hope for in our lifetime, but it does not mean that it will not happen. Sometimes we hope for healing for someone, and sometimes healing means going to heaven to be with Jesus. We like people to be healed here. Of course we do. But actually sometimes healing comes in different ways. So we have to remind ourselves that life, life is more journey than destination. God is more interested in developing our character than just making our life easy. We have to make peace with the path that we're on. Now, we can sometimes get off onto the wrong path and we have to repent and come back, but that's not the kind of path I'm talking about. I'm talking about your life, your plan, the way that God has planned your life. We walk along that path. But sometimes we look at other people's path and we go, hmm, I quite like their path. They've got a, a nicer house than me. Or their family seem much nicer than mine. Or, you know, I'm, I'm hoping this isn't just me that occasionally does this. And we, we kind of get envious of other people's path and we have to make peace with our own path. And we have to be careful if someone judges our path, because that happens, say, no, this is my path and I'm working it out and I'm sticking on the path that God has laid out for me. And yes, it's different to theirs, but that's okay. Because what I'm hoping for is strong and secure. So firstly, we have to join faith and truth together. Then we have to know that hope grows in the waiting And thirdly, we lift our eyes in worship. You know, a soft and thankful heart is always going to be healthier than the hardened, hopeless heart. The hardened, hopeless heart, which is hard to say, is always going to be sick. And that's not a good thing. And that's something we always all have to guard against. I know during the summer, there was a few things that I've been praying for a long time and haven't really happened as yet. And starting to get a little bit hopeless about it, if I'm, I'm just being honest. I started to get a bit hopeless about it, and you could feel your heart almost going a bit hard, a bit cynical. And there's a song that we used to sing again hundreds of years ago called Soften My Heart, um, Graham Kendrick, I think, for those of you old enough to remember. Um, and I, I, over the summer, I sort of sang that song to myself quite a bit because I'm like, I can feel my heart getting a bit hard on all of this and I had to look at my path and go no God this is my path and I'm going to make peace with my path and I'm going to worship you on my path even though it's not quite the path that I'd like it to be at sometimes this is the path you've given me and I'm making peace with it because a soft thankful heart is always going to be healthier than the hard 
hopeless heart. So to conclude today, before we're going to sing, I don't know if the the band want to start making their way. I'd just like to pray, take this opportunity to pray for some people. So I'd like actually if you could bow your heads, close your eyes, and then that's a little bit more private for people. But if anyone would like me to pray for them today, and it might be that you're saying, well, actually, yeah, my heart's a little bit hard right now. I've got a little bit hopeless, a little bit helpless, a little bit in despair about something. And I just want to refocus. I want to put my head back in the right place. I want to get my heart nice and soft again. Or maybe there's a situation you're facing and you've been praying for a long time and you need, you need some more patience to keep going. Or maybe you just feel like, I just need more hope, God. Help me with that. If, if any of those things sort of resonate with you, perhaps you could just give me a little wave or stick your hands up or something like that. Thank you. And you can put it down. It's more you indicating to God, really. And I'm going to pray for you right now. Father God, we're so thankful that you give us hope. And it's not just dictionary definition, optimistic thinking kind of hope. This is a real strong hope, firm foundation that we can anchor our lives to. And for those brothers and sisters today who have just waved their hands to me to say, hey, I need more hope or I, I need a bit more patience or I'm starting to be a little bit hard-hearted, I'm getting a little bit despairing, a little bit hopeless. Father, I pray that you will renew hope today in those hearts and minds. Father, grant us patience for the paths that we walk today. Help us not to look at other people and say, I'd rather be on their path, but let us make peace with our own, knowing that we are following you And you are our hope and you are the anchor for our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.